If you want to take your Bible or look up on your phone, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at verses 36 through 44. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. As we begin um, Advent um, and acknowledging our walk to Christmas, but Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for bringing us together this morning just to worship you, to hear from your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us this morning as we just teach us and encourage us and help us. Lord, that we have hearts, Lord, be focused on you and just draw us to yourself. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You ever walked into a room and You've seen a mess going on and things were kind of not sure and it looked chaotic and you look to find an answer and the person just looks up and says, it's complicated. Um, Yeah, it's complicated. Maybe that's how some of you might be feeling after this past week of Thanksgiving uh, with family members and friends and uh, you look at your life and you think, hmm, that was complicated. Uh, That was interesting. It's not maybe the way I thought it would go. And then when you show up at church and the passage that is read at the beginning of Advent is about people getting snatched away and uh, like that's the best you could come up with uh, today. Our church follows and has followed what we would say Advent. And today's the first day of Advent. And Advent is um, probably in the last 10, 15 years, in all churches across the board, uh, more churches would say, hey, it's, it's the first Sunday of Advent and recognize it. When I was growing up, you know, I didn't know anything about Advent at the church I was a part of. You just showed up, and then when it was Christmas, you showed up, and then when it was Easter, you showed up. And that's uh, how it was. But more and more in the last few years, churches have uh, taken on and addressed Advent. And there's, an, there's a history to Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word which means coming, which it takes its word from the Greek word prusia, which means arriving. And so that's what we're doing during the time of Advent. We are taking and looking at the season of waiting for the arriving of Jesus 
Christ. And for many years, nobody really knows when Advent actually was started. It's not a, a Bible thing, but about in the fourth century, uh, they have evidence that churches were following what they would call Advent, where they would be waiting for the coming of Christ. And Christmas, December 25th, which is one of the shortest days and the darkest days, uh, had been established as a time of when to celebrate Christmas. Jesus was not born on December 25th. But because it was so dark and was one of the darkest days, the church said on that day, let's start remembering Jesus's birth as light coming into the world and the days would start to get brighter and Easter was kind of set as well. So the church calendar, which there is church calendars, church history over time had started to adopt this and then they adopted Advent. And many churches that do Advent hardcore, uh, they won't sing any Christmas songs up until Christmas day. Um, It's kind of a dark type of season right now. And usually the first couple Sundays of Advent Instead of looking to the birth of Christ and waiting for Christmas, which in many ways it's become the Advent calendars, just mark off waiting for Christmas, it is more, they would take the first two Sundays and focus not on the coming of Jesus looking back, but on the coming of Jesus looking forward and preparing our hearts for that. And so if you look at the church calendar passage of Scripture today, which many churches use, Matthew chapter 24 is being read today and spoken, which is what I ch- decided to do this morning. So we are joining thousands of churches across the world this morning as they look at Matthew chapter 24, and it's complicated. It's, the whole thing's complicated. For many of you, you're just coming from different seasons of your own life. You just, are, you just rush to get to Thanksgiving break, and now you had that break. It might have been good. It might have been bad. There might be complications. There might be situations that are even more complicated now because you were with people that know you very well. And now you're heading into Christmas. You just got done hunting. You're watching the World Cup. All kinds of things going on. You're not really sure what season it is. And some of you aren't even sure what season of your life it is. You, you, you went through one season, now you're starting to go through different seasons, and it just seems complicated. So how does considering Advent help us walk through this season? And how does it help us keep our focus on Jesus as the reason for the season? Matthew 24 And Matthew 25, which is called the Olivet Discourse, is a very complicated passage of Scripture. People have been reading and writing and trying to discuss what all this is about and what does it mean and what does it mean for us for many, many, many years. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has been at the temple. He's getting ready to go to the cross and he's getting ready to leave the temple, and his disciples see him, and they, they, they look around, they look at the temple, and they start talking about the magnificence of the temple, which is one of the magnificent structures of that day. It had just been rebuilt. It was unbelievable. It was magnificent. And they're looking at the temple, and they're looking at talking to Jesus, and they, they say to Jesus, do, do you see these buildings and all these temples? And Jesus says to them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. 
Then they left the temple and they went across over to the Mount of Olives and sat down and Jesus starts talking to them and the disciples heard that and they thought, that sounds very complicated. How could that be? They just built this thing. It's very confusing. And so they asked Jesus, it says in verse 3, and as they sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus said, answered them. And he goes on to describe what I believe in that passage for the first part is what's going to happen pretty recently. Well, he goes on to describe the terror and the horror that was going to take place just in a few years when in AD 70, the Jerusalem was sacked and the temple literally was destroyed. And he talks about the terror of that and then he continues to go on and he talks more about what's going to happen in the future And then he gets into this passage in verse 36, and it seems that he's talking about what's going to come at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. And he he answers their questions. But the first thing that Advent does in this, when Jesus says, but concerning the day and the hour that no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son of Man, but only the Father. Here's what Advent is for us. Advent is, first of all, a reminder that life is not aimless. It's not aimless. It's not just wandering on aimlessly. Advent is a reminder that there is a coming, that there is an arrival, that Jesus is coming back. And there is a danger to become dulled to the entrance of God into the world. It would be real easy to slip into this season and say, oh yeah, it's time to put the tree up. It's time to buy the presents. It's time to do it again. We'll sing the carols. We'll watch the movies. We'll come to the Christmas Eve Eve service. We'll show up at church if we can on the 25th because that's what you're supposed to do even though it's Christmas Day. We'll just go through the motions. Become very dulled by it. It's very easy to do that for Christians. It's easy for Christians to become dulled to the entrance of God into the world if we're not careful. But that's the dominant reality for the culture. There's a song that, you, that was sung a number of years ago that started out with, that they would ask in the song, do you feel the world is broken? And they would say, we do. That's true, don't we? We feel the world is broken because it is, we do. And the culture's answer to that is just to, what do you do with that? How do, you, how do you deal with a world that seems broken? You just turn on the TV or flip on your phone and see all the news of just this past week, and nobody would be able to deny that there is a brokenness to this world. And left to itself, it seems very aimless. It seems like this is just the way it's been, this is what's happening now, and this is the way it's going to be. The culture's answer to that, to deal with that, is to just consume. We'll grab this holiday and we'll buy stuff. We'll make our seals feel good. We'll put colors up. We'll put lights up. We'll just tell people, be happy. And just have fun, have fun, have fun, have fun. But guess what? The fun doesn't last. The family gets together. It's a complicated mess. There's big 
Debt and bills in January and February. And the aimlessness for many people just seems to continue. The brokenness just seems to come on. But the reality for Christians, the reality for us is that Advent is a reminder that life is not aimless. There is a direction that is taking place. The reality of the first Advent, the fact that Jesus came to earth as a baby, to rescue his creation and rescue people because of his love, says that if he came as a baby, took on human flesh, that he's not done yet. God is not done yet. There was a first advent. He first came and he will come again. There's a direction to the way the world's going. And even for us as Christians, as we struggle through the angst of our own world, And that is the way the world is being described. Across the world, there is a great angst of brokenness and trouble and just a sense of aimlessness. But for Christians, we know that's not true. There's a direction to the way this world is going, which means that whatever you're struggling with right now, your experience and what you're experiencing is not without a purpose. Psalm 139 says that your days were written before any of them were lived. God is the creator, owner of the world who set it up with a direction and he's taking it some way. There's a direction to it. So all that you're dealing with, all the difficulties for a Christian, Advent reminds you that this brokenness, this pain, this struggle is not for nothing. There's a purpose to it because there's not only a direction to the world, Jesus is coming back, but there is also a director to it. It says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. There's a director to this world. There's a director to when time began and to when Jesus will come back and to when all eternity will begin. It's the Father. God the Father is the director of it all. This is why it says in James that what we should say as Christians is not, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do this. But what we should say is because we know that the world is directed and is not aimless, and we have a purpose in it, what we should say as Christians is, if the Lord wills, we will do this, or we will do that. There's a director to this world, and what this also highlights is the humility of Jesus. Jesus says, there will be a time when I am coming back, but the reality is, he said, I don't even know the time. He humbled himself, God The second person of the God had humbled himself to the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of man, and he gave up his right even to know when the Father would send him back. But there's a direction, there's a director to it all. And in that reality, the amazing part of that is that God gives us a decision. He says there's two ways to live. You can follow Christ which leads to life, or you can follow the way that leads to destruction. But he he gives us a choice in that somehow. This director of the world. I said last week that following Jesus always leads to a cross. But it ends in a resurrection. 
That's the hope for us. There is a decision to make, and the danger is for us to live to arrive. There's a great danger for even Christians to live to arrive, but not to live for the arriving one. And there's many ways people live to arrive. I mean, there's, to arrive can be many different things for many different people. For, for some of you, arriving might be getting the job that you've always wanted. For arriving might be finally making it to retirement. Arriving might be saying, we got enough money to just go out and eat when we want at a restaurant. Arriving might be finally getting the position at work that you want. Arriving might be getting married, or might be having children, or might be getting your kids out of the house, or it might be all kinds of things that you're living for. It might be hoping that the U.S. wins a World Cup game. That For you, that might be arriving. But you can so live for those things and not live for the one who is arriving and miss the importance of Advent. And your world, even as a Christian, can seem aimless, but it's not aimless. There is a direction. And all the pain and all the frustrations is heading to a point. William Williamon is a theologian. He was a pastor in, at the University of North Carolina at the Chapel Hill they took a bunch of college students down to Honduras one year, and they were uh, doing their missions trips, helping uh, different organizations, helping uh, very poor people, and someone decided, let's stand around a circle and share our fa- favorite Bible verse. And so they, some of the college students said John 3.16, and somebody said 1 Corinthians 13. And then they, one of the Honduran women spoke up, and through the translator, she said, I like that verse in Luke 20, or maybe Luke 21, which is a parallel of the Matthew 24 passage, where she said, where it, where it talks about how one day God's going to burn all this up. And she said, I just think that that's such a comfort to know that. And William Williamon heard that. He, he, he asked the translator, did, did you translate that right? She, she said she finds that, that that verse is a comfort to her. And the translator said, well, I spent the day with her in the clinic this morning and was talking to her. She's got five children, and three of them have died by malnutrition. And William, William on says, then I got it. She understood that even in her greatest brokenness, that this world was not aimless. There was a God who was the director, and he was directing it someday, and he was going to fix it. But how could she live in that kind of hope? Advent is not only a reminder that life is not aimless, it's a reminder that Christians are to live in anticipation. Matthew 24 is all about what's anyways going to happen, things that happened in the past, but they're so intertwined that those things that he talks about, how to deal with the things in the past are going to deal with the future. And so it's a reminder to us as Christians that we're supposed to be people who live in anticipation, not in angst, not in aimlessness, but this anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. And the first thing we're supposed to know about that, was not, we're not supposed to be alarmed by the fact that there is a delay. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 and 25 that there will be a delay 
delay. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that, that there is this delay. But there's a number of things that are going to be happening when that delay takes place. And he says, first of all, there's going to be a lot of false announcements in verse 4. There's going to be a lot of people who say, I'm the Christ, follow me. There's going to be a lot of frequent alarms. There'll be earthquakes and rumors of war and, and wars. And he says, that's going to be a part of it. There's going to be on a full-on spiritual assault, it says in verse 5. And there's going to be a great falling away. People who had followed Christ are going to fall away. But he says in verse 13, he says, in all those things, keep following on. Basically, he's saying don't be alarmed, which means don't be trying to figure out the time. Don't be trying to figure out when Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. Don't, don't just sit there and try to gauge it. He, he, does, he, say, he, does, he never says anything about that. He doesn't give any hint towards that. All he says is don't be alarmed. Don't be trying to figure it out. But he does say to be awake. He says be watchful. And he gives very graphic pictures. He says it's just like the days of Noah when people were eating, drinking, and marrying. And life was just going on and all of a sudden, boom. Two will be together, close bit, one will be gone. Not really sure what that means, actually. But he just says, be awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Don't assume you've got all the time in the world. There's an old fable of three devils apprentices of Satan, and they're coming down to earth to finish up their apprenticeship. And they come before Satan, the chief of devils. They tell him their plans to tempt and ruin humanity, so they become full-on demons. And the first one says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tell people there's no God. And Satan says, that's not going to fool anybody. They know there's a God. And the second one said, well, I'll tell them what I'll do. I'll tell them that there's no hell. And Satan said, you won't deceive anyone that way. People know deep in their hearts that there's a place and punishment for sin. And the third one said, I know what I'll do. I'll tell them there is no hurry. And Satan said, you will ruin humanity by the thousands. The most dangerous of all delusions is that there is plenty of time. Advent is a reminder to Christians to don't be alarmed, but be awake. Time and Jesus could come back any moment. People will be eating, drinking, the news will be happening, sports will be being played, it will seem like nothing, and like a thief in the night, Jesus will be back. He says, be awake be watchful. We spent the holidays down with Jared in Missouri. And I realized as I was driving around down there, to turn on any Christian radio station, all they play is gospel music. You know, all country gospel music, which I used to grow up, I, I would love it. And I forgot as I was listening to it, every time I'd pick him up, drop him back off for work, pick him back up again, I forgot how often the words of those country gospel songs were about the future, about Jesus coming back, heaven, about glory. It was very encouraging. 
Sometimes I think that we need to not be alarmed, but we need to be awake. And remember, the time is not fleeting. We should be looking and anticipating Christ's return. We need to get back to some of the old things where I think we have maybe drifted too far away when we used to say, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. There is truth that this world is our home, and we need to be good citizens and good stewards and care for it. But I think we have almost swung too far where we, we think, no, this world is my home, even as a Christian. I've got to take advantage of every opportunity to get all my things in, all the things that I want to do, all my experiences. Where Jesus says, be awake, be watchful, have heaven on your mind, have eternity on your mind. There's an old saying that said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You need to grapple with that. That doesn't mean everybody should leave their jobs and go be missionaries someplace or go into full-time ministry, but it does mean where you're at, God's placed you there, and you have a responsibility to work for Him in such a way that this is your one life. It will only soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. We as Christians, we need to grapple with that. We need to figure out what that means for us so that we are living in anticipation. And it says, not only be awake, Jesus said, be ready. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house be broken. Therefore, you also must be ready. What does it mean to be ready? When we lived in Minneapolis, my car got broken into four times in four months in my own back parking lot. And I would put little stickers on my car. I'd put signs up. This is wrong. It's sin. You know, just to try to scare. I didn't. I tried anything. I'd walk out there in the middle of the night to see if a car got broken into. Go back to bed. But I didn't know when it was going to happen. And every time it just happened, and I had no idea how it could happen. So I didn't know when the thief was coming, and I wasn't able to be fully ready. But what does it mean for us as Christians to be ready? It means to be faithful. It says in the next paragraph, he says, there's this faithful, wise servant, and the master leaves, he gives him a job to do, and he gets it done. The unwise servant doesn't get the job done which means for us as Christians, we're not supposed to be just coming up with all these charts, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, when we're going to do this, well, this, is what it means, this is what it means, and showing these things to Jesus. What we're supposed to be doing as Christians is anticipate that he's coming back. Be alar- don't be alarmed, be awake, be ready, just be, be faithful. Be faithful serving where God has called you to serve. Find faithfulness and just do the next right thing you know you need to do, as Elizabeth Elliot said. Which doesn't always mean the next right thing that looks right or the next right thing that feels right. To be a faithful steward is to do the next right thing. Where you've taken the word of God and you've read it and you've asked God, what's the next right thing for me to do? And through the dependence on the Holy Spirit, you just decide to do it. No matter if your feelings or if it looks like that's what you're supposed to do. But Advent is a reminder for us to be awake and to be ready. It's a reminder that Christians, we are people who are living in anticipation. 
We're looking for Jesus to come back. And the third reality of Advent for us is that the arriving is Jesus' promise. It says in verse 44, the Son, this is Jesus talking, the Son of Man is coming. At an hour you did not expect. This is the prophet. Advent means coming. The Son of Man is coming. This is a promise that Jesus gave us. He didn't even know when he was coming back, but he said the Son of Man is coming. This is a promise for us. So we need to accept that promise. This is what Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 1.20. says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God. Because Jesus says he's coming back and it's a promise, and all the promises of God are found in Jesus Christ, we can hold on to the promises of God while we wait with great expectation. We can anchor to that hope because it says it's going to happen at an hour you did not expect. So what we do as Christians as we just anchor to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, we anchor to his promises. We can see his word. We can go through our struggles and say, Jesus is coming back. I know that's true. And if Jesus is coming back, then everything else that he said is true. So I'm going to find a promise, and I'm going to hold on to it. Like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What does a faith look like in the reality of a broken world? In 2009, there was a woman named Monica and her husband, in Mataguri, Nigeria. Nigeria. They're riding their motorcycle on the way to Bible study at Thursday night in the northern part of Nigeria. And as they were going, they came across a barricade set up by the Boko Haram terrorists. And they were pulled over. And they said to Monica and her husband, what is your religion? And they said, we are Christians. And they had swords and blades, and they said, if you turn to be a Muslim, you will have peace. And her husband and them said, we are Christians. And the Boko Haram took their sword and cut her husband's neck, head off right in front of her. She jumped off her motorcycle, started to run. They started to chase her. They slashed her. In the back, they rolled her over, they slashed her in the throat, and they threw her in a ditch, and they thought she was dead. Two hours later, people came back to find her, thought they were dead, thought, thought she was dead. They picked her up, she started to move. Miraculously, she survived, but her throat was so cut that she had to have a special trachea in the Mayo Clinic in the United States helped figure it out. So she had to, when she talked, she'd have to put her fingers over her throat. And so someone went to meet her one day, didn't even know how to talk to her about this. Wasn't sure what to say to her. And he asked her, what, do, what does this do for your faith? How is this with you? How are you spiritually? 
She put her fans up to her throat, and she said, I focus my eyes on eternity. She took another breath, and she said, I focus my eyes on Jesus. Obviously, not every story of faith will look like Monica's. But every true faith will desire and take steps to have that kind of faith. That's what Advent reminds us of. Where we can say, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Is that you? Is that your faith? As you walk through the rest of this Advent season, as we look forward to Jesus' birth, be amazed and trust Christ. Be ready, stay awake, and hold on to his promises. Let's pray.